Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Are you tired of this reality? Us too. How about once a week you take a break and visit a different reality? In Jack Billings Presents Haunted Apartment Complex, we bring you a comedy podcast full of ghosts, werewolves, gentle vampires, and Frankenstein monstrosities made of 72 people stitched together. And somehow, that's not even the strange stuff. A proud member of the Podmoth Network. Every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. There's nothing wrong with your audio. I've been a ghost this whole time. Shyamalan Twist! Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bazaar, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Well, Declan, do you have uh, a cool story to tell us today? What story have you got? I've got a particularly gruesome, brutal. I'm going to be talking about the Hi-Fi Murders. Hi-Fi Murders. I don't think I know that, so I'm a little scared about how brutal it's going to be if you're saying it's going to be brutal. It's a really weird case, but uh, what are you going to be talking to us about today? I am going to be telling you a bizarre story about some dancing plagues that have happened. Hmm. Very weird. strange. Yes. So the drink that I brought to go with the story about a dancing plague is called dancing juice. (laughs) Not very original, but the dancing juice drink is made of one ounce of white rum, three ounces of ginger ale, a squeeze of lime, and the steps are to combine the ingredients over ice in a highball glass and stir. Not complicated. And then garnish with a lime wedge. So... Let's give this drink a try and see if it's a keeper or not. Oh, it's okay. It's not bad. Rum. I don't really like rum either, but the ginger ale takes away that real strong rum flavor, and it. I bought Schweppes and refreshing, and it doesn't taste great. (laughs) I hate Schweppes. Oh, whoops. I think it's a decent drink. It's not bad at all. It's easy yeah. to put down. It's just, I think it'd be better with vodka instead of rum. Probably. But then it wouldn't be dancing juice, and it wouldn't make sense to go with the uh, story. But they dance in Russia. <laughs> What's that? But they dance in Russia. That's true. That's true. Still be dancing juice. <laughs> yes. This story is not from Russia. Uh, not that the rum plays any role in the story, but <laughs> so 
Uh, I'm going to start off. There's been a couple of these incidences uh, in different places. So I'm going to start with one of the most documented one, and that is an I'm going to attempt this name. I believe the name is Aachen. Uh, it's a city in West Germany, sitting next to the Rhine River. Now it's a city of around 20, 250,000 people. But in June of 1374, that was a long time ago, it was a different town. On June 27th of 1374, the town experienced a new type of plague. The citizens in the town were recovering from the actual plague, also known as the Black Death, when this new plague struck. This plague on the surface seemed somewhat entertaining as those afflicted with it started to dance. But this dance wasn't just your average expression of joy when hearing a good song. It seemed as though the dancers were compelled to dance and to keep dancing, even though they were exhausted or had suffered an injury. Those suffering from the dance plague would have been vigorously jumping, writhing around, screaming, or chanting. Someone dropped some molly in all their drinks. That's, that's what that sounds like to me. <laughs> Do you think they had molly in 1374? Maybe a Probably version of Probably some form of it. Of it. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> some people continued to the point of exhaustion and would collapse on the ground, where some others even died either from cardiac arrest or from the injuries sustained during their violent dancing. There were descriptions of some exhausted people falling to the ground and foaming at the mouth, writhing and moaning until they could get enough energy to start the process over. So they would just dance, dance, fall down, take some time to recuperate, get back up and dance some more. I think I've actually seen this, like a, a crackhead outside my 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might ask him why he has the dancing plague. <laughs> yeah. More and more people seem to be affected with thousands of people joining in the dance compulsion. This plague didn't just affect the physical body. Some of those afflicted also reported hallucinations. The dancing continued for weeks and spread to other towns along the Rhine River and other countries. Then it basically stopped for about 150 years. So it just started, then just gradually faded out after weeks. Um, and then about 150 was, years later. Was it in multiple that? towns or just one area? Yes. No, it was in multiple okay. towns. In 1518, it started again uh, when a woman took to the street in Strasbourg, France. So yet another town. Strasbourg is a city in eastern France near the German border. The town also sits on the banks of the Rhine River. It has changed names numerous times based on who took ownership of the town. In 1518, it was a free city in the Roman Empire. July of 1518, Frau Trophia began dancing in the street. She appeared unable to stop and continued dancing until she was so exhausted that she had to rest. 
after she was rested, she resumed her dancing and continued for days. Days and days. That's really weird. Yeah. Within a week, there were dozens of more people that had been struck by the dancing bug. The dancers continued with their compulsion, even if injured, and more and more people seemed to be inexplicably drawn to the activity. City officials were concerned as the number of dancers continued to grow. Their first instinct was to support the activity by opening halls for continued dancing. So they basically, you know, said, hey, if you're going to dance, come dance in this, you know, city hall or whatever, a dance hall, you know, don't do it in the streets, come to a place and do it. They hired professional dancers as well. They thought that professional dancers could assist the other dancers because they maybe perhaps some had been injured. And so they also provided live music. They thought. We're going to support this activity rather than telling them to stop because it doesn't seem to be, you know, stopping their activity. If we don't stop <laughs> dancing, they're still dancing. The officials thought this would give the dancers an outlet and that would curb their compulsion. However, it seemed to have the opposite effect and the number of dancers continued to grow. In fact, at one time, there were over 400 people who seemed to be afflicted with this strange urge to dance. A few people died through exhaustion. No, 400 people. And it's been 150 years since the last time. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're due for a dancing plague soon. Yes, soon. Any day now. A few people died through exhaustion or heart attacks based on the extreme level of continued activity. Approximately two months later, the dancing started to slow and go away. Although these were not the only incidents of the dancing plague, they were the most documented. So it's happened quite a bit, apparently. Similar occurrences had been reported since the 7th century up to the 17th century. Over the years and in different regions, it has been called by several different names, including St. John's Dance, St. Vitus's Dance, the Dance Plague, Tarantism, and Choreomania, to name a few. Just as the event had many names, it also had many theories as to what caused the mass behavior. During the times of the events, some suggested the dancing was caused by demonic possession a curse or having hot blood. Hot blood. <laughs> <Can> you imagine <laughs> my blood is hot, so I gotta dance it out. <laughs> I think dancing would make your blood hot, but I, don't I would know. think so. Uh, the explanations for stuff in the back in the days just cracks me up. It's so funny. I I gotta dance because I got hot blood. The cure to dancing plague is a cigarette and a shot of whiskey that's yeah that's maybe they're cure to everything right oh, you have a headache try smoking a cigarette yep more recently it has been suggested that the behaviors may have been fungal poisoning of rye flour commonly referred to as ergot which has also been a possible explanation surrounding the hysteria seen in the salem witch trials Ergot poisoning symptoms. Yep. Yep. 
Ergot poisoning symptoms include hallucinations, mania, seizures, convulsions, irrational behavior, and unconsciousness. The and problem so, with that. Sorry, keep going. I'll, t- I'll no, no. Okay. So, okay. So I looked it up and MDMA is made from African sassafras bark. So maybe they somehow got like a export and they didn't know. And they were just like, yeah, putting it in their tea or something. And then they just start going oh. crazy. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's another theory. Yeah. Uh, historians question the ergot theory um, as not all of the places affected consumed rye flour and the timing of the events varied regarding the wet seasons. So the thought of it being fungal because the rye flour had gotten moist and damp or whatever uh, didn't really pan out for all of the cities that had been affected. But I'm pretty sure for the uh, Salem witch trials, that was wine that was infected. So maybe it was oh. they'd already made it into beer or something. Maybe I don't. I honestly don't know. We'll have to look into the Salem witch trials. That okay. would, I think, be a brutal and bizarre. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Another problem with this explanation is that people suffering from ergot poisoning also have decreased circulation that often results in the loss of a limb, and there would there were no reported cases of the dancers needing to have a limb removed, which I hadn't mm-hmm. heard before, but that was one of the... Yeah. It's kind of gross. Just like yeah. withers away or something, like pops off, like a Lego piece. No. <laughs> no, it probably because of the decreased circulation. You know, I mean, if you oh, don't have circulation like, to uh, your foot, gangrenous yeah, and necrotic and, and okay. gross yeah. and nasty. And so they're like, oh, let's cut it off. That's gross. Yeah, super gross. Religious pilgrimages were also suggested as a cause of the events. Some believe that the people participating in the dance plagues were doing so as a coordinated effort. Basically, think of it as like an an old olden day flash mob. That's crazy. Just people. It's like instead of zombie apocalypse and you just like you're in a big park and you see like a couple people turning, you're just like dancers everywhere right yeah uh so they were the theory was that they were using that as a way to demonstrate their religious beliefs another popular theory is that dancing was a stress reaction so during those times the areas involved had a lot of tragic things occurring like severe disease the plague the actual plague was was running rampant through the area famine uh everybody was super poor lots of poverty and there were also some incidents of flooding so the theory is basically that a few of the first dancers mentally cracked entered a trance-like state started dancing others saw the behavior and it essentially became herd mentality and they all decided to just jump on the bandwagon oh dance it's like that thing if you see 
one person running, then it's not weird. But if you see a whole crowd running, you might start joining them. Right. You're like, oh, that's one runner. What <laughs> oh, God, is everyone running away from? Everyone yeah. else is dancing. I feel weird. Now I need to dance. Yeah, could be. Although it has occurred numerous times in numerous places, ultimately no theory has been proven as to what has caused any of the dancing plagues. And there you go. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. And it's it's not just one I found one occurrence and then as I was researching it, I was like, oh shit, that keeps happening. It's like over and over again. Um, yeah, the multiple I do times think, is weird. And then it I takes like a couple breaks. Yeah. Yeah. Why it's along the Rhine River and I didn't find anyone saying maybe there was something going on in the river. Because most of yeah, the cities of they said were affected were along. River. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a very easy cause to connect. Like, I would think so, it, but. Maybe these people are just drinking straight out of the river and there was some kind of weird bacteria in there. I don't... Possibly. I don't think they weird. knew how to test for that kind of stuff in 7th <laughs> no, century. They are probably just drinking straight out of the river with their hands. Probably. So tell me this particularly brutal story. All righty. So... On April 22, 1974, right before closing time, two separate vans pulled up and four men walked into the Hi-Fi Home Audio Store in Ogden, Utah, brandishing firearms. There was two employees in the store at the time of the robbery, Stanley Walker, age 20, and Michelle Ainsley, age 18. Michelle Ainsley was an employee at the Hi-Fi shop. She had been hired only a week before the murders. She had recently become engaged and uh, planned to be married on August 5th, 1974. The assailants forced the two employees into the basement and bound them while the group began robbing the store. Shortly after taking the hostage, a 16-year-old named uh, Courtney Nasbit walked into the store to thank the employees for allowing him to use their parking lot while he ran errands. He was also taken hostage and put in the basement, which I'd think if you're robbing a store and you had the employees locked up, you'd lock the door so no one else can come in. But maybe they're, so. they didn't think that through. Possibly. Stanley's father was worried since he hadn't returned home after work. So he took a trip to the store to uh, see if he was just like working late or something. And he was also taken hostage and tied up in the basement. Shit. So now there's four hostages in the store, two of which are employees, two of which are just normal people. Wow. So Courtney's mother, the uh, 16-year-old, um, she was also concerned since her son hadn't returned home in time. And so she swung by the store to see if he was there. And just like the others, she was 
uh, bound and held hostage in the basement. Shit. So now that's five total hostages in the basement of Hi-Fi. Do you One know the, the period robbers, of time? Uh, it was all within like a couple hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the robbers retrieved a bottle of Drano and asked Stanley's father, Orin, to make the other hostages drink it. <gasps> oh. Gross. And uh, I would also like to say that he got that idea from the movie, um, not Dirty Harry, but the sequel. I can't remember what the name is right now. I just watched it the other night. But. Oh. So Oren refused to do this, and he was beaten and pushed face down onto the concrete while he was tied up. Yikes. Two robbers, Dale Pierre and William Andrews, forced the hostages to drink the drain cleaner. He then proceeded to duct tape their mouths shut to prevent them from spitting the Drano up. However, (sighs) the Drano instantly caused blistering on their lips and face so the duct tape wouldn't stick. Duct tape wouldn't stick. Yeah, fucking gross. (sighs) So they fed it to Oren last, but he faked drinking it, and he mimicked the screams that his uh, fellow hostages were making. Yeah. Pierre became frustrated by how long it was taking the Drano to kill his hostages, so he shot Carol and Courtney in the back of their heads. However, Courtney lived through his injuries. He also shot Stanley and shot at Oren, but only grazed Oren's head. So, right now there's two people dead and one with a traumatic brain injury. Oof. Yeah. So, right after this killing, Pierre took 18-year-old Ansley into the corner and sexually assaulted her for around 30 minutes. He then threw her face down to the rest of the hostages and shot her in the back of the head. Jesus. According to Oren's testimony, her last words are, I am too young to die. That's so sad. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. The story is really fucked up. Pierre noticed that Oren was still alive, so he tried choking him out with a cable he found in the store. And this wasn't really like quite gory enough for Pierre, so he stopped choking him out. He placed a ballpoint pen in Oren's ear and stomped it oh. until he saw the tip of it come out of Oren's throat. Oh my lord. Declan, I'm going to have nightmares from this. Yeah, it's really gross. Sorry, everybody. Oh. I should have... <laughs> Well, you you warned us. You warned us it was going to be brutal. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, Pierre and Andrews then made their way upstairs to finish their robbery. Before I talk about what happened to the robbers, let's shine a light on some of the victims because that was such a fucked up story. (sighs) Courtney Nasbitt, age 16, was a student in Ogden High School. Although he survived his injuries, he suffered from amnesia and was thus unable to testify at the trial. Nasbitt was able to return to school more than a year after the incident, and he graduated with his class at the high school in 1976. Due to the brain damage from his head wound, however, he was forced to drop out of college. His mother, Carol, uh, passed away in the hospital 
uh, from wounds inflicted by Pierre. Oren Walker, age 43, was the father of victim Stanley Walker. Having survived the attack, he testified at trial against the perpetrators. He died on February 13, 2000, at age 69. Now let's get back to some more fucked up stuff. <sighs> Oren's wife Woof. and Stanley's brother became increasingly concerned when neither of them returned home, so the two made their way to the store three hours after Oren had left to find Stanley. Oren's son, so Stanley's brother, uh, heard something in the basement, so he decided to kick down the back door. This is when he discovered the horrific scene in the basement that had taken place hours before. Yeah. Miss Walker called the Ogden police. Stanley Walker and Ainsley were already dead. Carol Nesbitt was taken to the uh, taken by ambulance to the St. Benedict Hospital. Uh, however, she was determined dead on arrival. So, Poor thing. Courtney, although not expected to live, survived with severe and uh, inoperable brain damage. He was hospitalized for 266 days before being released. Wow. Oren Walker survived with extensive burns to his mouth and chin, as well as damage to his ear caused by the pen. And one of the strangest parts about this story is the perpetrator's. Everyone convicted was actually a part of the United States Air Force. What? Oh. So a few hours after the news broke about the crime, an anonymous caller from the Hill Air Force Base told police that Williams, uh, that William Andrews had told them, one of these days I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in the way, I'm going to kill him. Oh, jeez. A few more hours after this phone call, two boys who were dumpster diving at the Hill Air Force Base stumbled upon the victims' wallets and purses. Wow. A detective who was in the crime uh, a detective who was at the crime scene stopped by the base to speak with the people stationed there. He began showing the evidence to the crowd and everyone watched in silence except for two men. Pierre and Andrews were seen pacing back and forth and talking amongst amongst each other. This tipped off the detectives and a search warrant was issued to their barracks where detective found flyers for hi-fi and a receipt to a nearby storage unit. Another search warrant was issued for the storage unit where half empty bottles of Drano and a majority of the stolen goods from hi-fi were located. They were identified through their serial numbers to match the ones from uh, Hi-Fi. Pierre and Andrews were immediately charged for the crimes committed at Hi-Fi. Pierre and Andrews had a joint trial along with uh, one of two delivery drivers, Keith Leon Roberts. Pierre and Andrews were charged with first-degree murder and aggravated robbery and sentenced to death. However, Roberts was only charged with a robbery since he sat in the van for the whole time. He was the getaway driver, so. Jeez. During during the trial, it was uh, revealed that Pierre and Andrews had re- uh, that Pierre and Andrews had robbed the store with the intent of killing anyone they encountered, and in the months prior had been looking for ways to commit the murders quietly and cleanly. The well, they didn't do a very good job of that. 
The two then repeatedly watched the film Magnum Force, uh, in which prostitute playing Margaret Avery is forced to drink Drano and is shown immediately dropping dead. Pierre and Andrews decided that this would be an effective method of murder. Uh, decided to use that Jeez. as their crime. Oh, hell. On November 16th, 1974, Pierre was convicted of three accounts of first-degree murder and two accounts of aggravated robbery for the hi-fi crimes. On November 20th, 1974, he was given three death sentences, <coughs> one for each of the murder victims while in prison, Pierre changed his name 27 times reportedly to protect his family name from notoriety. <laughs> Finally settled wow. on Pierre Dale Shelby. Wow. Yeah. Pierre was executed by lethal injection on August 28, 1987 at the age of 34. At the time of his death, Pierre bequeathed all his money, which was $29 to Andrews. <laughs> Pierre declined his last meal instead spending his final day fasting, praying, seeing hymns and reading the Bible his last words were thank you I'm just going to say my prayers such a that just weirds me out for some reason yeah Andrews was 19 year old at the time of the crime Uh, it was determined that they were going there to actually kill people. But because he did not directly kill any of the victims, they were all Pierre's fault. Uh, He did not admit to forcefully administering the Drano down their throats either. So he was blaming everything on Pierre. Yeah. Yeah. And on November 20th, 1974, he was given three death sentences as well. One One for each of the murder victims. Mm-hmm. And Andrew was executed by lethal injection on July 30th, 1992, at the age of 37, after 18 wow. years on death row. His last meal was a banana split, which he shared with his niece and sister. Andrew's last words were, thank you, uh, thank, thank those who tried so hard to keep me alive. I hope they continue to fight for equal justice after I'm gone. Tell my family goodbye, and I love them. Wow. Roberts was 19 years old at the time of the crime. He was acquitted of murder after the court found that he had no role nor knowledge of the murders. He was, however, convicted of two accounts of aggravated robbery and was sentenced to five years to life. Roberts was paroled on May 12, 1987, after nearly 13 years in prison and moved to Chandler, Oklahoma. To live with his relatives. He died by suicide on August 8th, 1992, barely a week after Andrew's execution. Wow. While six total men were involved in the robbery, only three were charged. Out of the other three men, one was another getaway driver, and the other two were responsible for unloading the store into the trucks. Oh. Yeah, those guys wow. haven't been found yet. Yikes. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah, not a happy story, that's for sure. Not at all. Very brutal. Yikes.
well. Do you have a chaser to cleanse the palate of that horrible, brutal story you just told us? Yes, I have. Uh, it's an Instagram account called dank underscore Frank B-O-I, as in like boy with an I. And it's like this uh, little tuxedo cat. I think it's also uh, one of the dwarf cats that have little legs. And oh my he just gosh. has the funniest looking face. He's got giant eyes. Like, he's just a funny looking guy. I like it. They post some funny videos of him playing with toys and stuff. I'm going to have to go check that out because that sounds super cute. <laughs> I look, you know, we're cat. We're cat lovers. Yeah. So. Lulu got up here for a second, but I don't think it'll be in frame. <laughs> I saw her for a second. She, I saw Not her little her head ears. and then she jumped <laughs> back down. Yeah. You have a chaser My chaser, us, yes, it is an it is also an animal story. It's not an Instagram story, but so I found an article. Um, there was a bald eagle uh, named Murphy. He lives at a sanctuary in Missouri, and uh, the the sanctuary people had noticed that he had been trying to hatch a rock. He had a rock in his nest and he was tending to it, trying to get it to hatch. And they thought it was super cute. Well, they received a baby eagle with a broken wing at the sanctuary. And so they gave the baby eagle to Murphy and took the rock. And now he's feeding and caring for the for the baby eagle and he's making sure that it's got all his nutrients and he's adopted the little baby eagle. That's cute. That I reminds thought it was me adorable. of a, a similar story I saw that um, I guess orangutans are very social animals. So when COVID hit and no zoos were allowed to open this one zoo, mm -hmm. I think it was uh, in China, I believe, but. I'm probably wrong about that. But anyways, this one zoo noticed that the orangutans were depressed because they didn't have any like interaction with strangers, like people watching them at the zoo and stuff and feeding them. So right. they decided to divert one of the otter streams and introduce otters into their enclosure. And it oh, really? Cured, they just started playing with the otters like, like we would Aww. dogs, like throwing little toys and like chasing each other around and stuff because they had a... It was two parent orangutans and a little baby one. And the baby was just running around chasing them and he they'd chase him and it was so funny. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> How cute. Love it. Two chasers in one. Let's Yes. Right, let's wrap this episode up. I enjoyed awesome. hearing about your weird dancing. Play. Yeah. I can't say I enjoyed hearing your story. <laughs> I'm surprised that that's not a bigger story. I had to like really look, look for that one. Yeah. I've it, never heard of it ooh. before. I hadn't either. It, that yeah, was nasty. Gross. Yeah. Specifically the pen part. That really bugged me out. Oh, yeah. Uh, pens. I have to throw away all the pens. 
<laughs> new fear unlocked. Yeah. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. All right. Well, uh, love you. Love you too, bud. Bye. Bye. Hey friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.